Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. It is Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. This is the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. Today, as always, we have a great show for you. In our second part of the show today, I will have a conversation with Father Greg Gerhardt. Father Greg is the vocations director for the Diocese of Austin, and the vocations director recruits, counsels, and assists seminarians during their formation to the priesthood. His office also offers programs and retreats for men and women who are interested in discerning a call to the priesthood or religious life. Our show today is entirely pre-recorded, so even this first part is recorded, so we won't be able to take any calls from you today. But as always, I want to welcome everyone listening to us on KEDC 88.5 FM Hearn Bryan College Station Welcome to our Central Texas listeners on KYAR 98.3 FM, Lorena Waco. And also a shout out to Palestine on KINF 107.9 FM. I'm joined in the studio this morning by our president, Dennis Maka. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning, Deacon Mike. Great to see you today. It's going to be a great show. Yes, it is. And um, we're... Now in the second week of Advent, Mm -hmm. so I'm assuming you have all the Christmas shopping done, all the presents wrapped, the tree is up. All the Christmas shopping that I am responsible for is done. (laughs) I like the way you put that. Actually, that's not actually true because I still have to get my wife a gift. Oh. Although she usually does that shopping for me and says what she wants because otherwise I really screw things up. Yes. Get her an ironing board or something. Um, I've got a track record that I'm not going (laughs) to say any more about on the air. But my kids, it's a recurring joke. Yeah. And uh, Last year I I bought her a a modest but just very tacky blouse top it was just like all the kids and i acted like it was something serious like it was a serious gift and i knew it was something she would hate and want to return and so everybody kind of called me out and they they knew i was messing with them but yeah otherwise i'm i'm just a notoriously bad gift giver because i just think it's the greatest idea and it somehow never fails to offend (laughs) yes it's amazing that uh Uh, how we can misread things and in our own minds, oh, this is absolutely perfect. They generally know my heart is in the right place. So, but yes, no, I'm not done with my Christmas shopping yet. So thank you for rubbing that in. Um, one of the things that, uh, you know, we normally think about during Advent is, of course, you know, the whole preparation thing for Christmas, the buying the gifts, the decorating the house, the shopping for groceries, the baking of cookies and all these things. And so often we tend to forget that that whole time of preparation for Christmas is to remind us that Mm -hmm. we're supposed to be preparing for the coming of Jesus, not just at Christmas, but also at the end of time. Right. And and 
some of that preparation needs to be done in silence, which I'm also notoriously bad at doing because I, I always fill the silence with, with words or with actions or something. And so that's just a big challenge for me personally. But I think in part, just as the challenge of mm-hmm. buying Christmas presents, it's a challenge that all of us have to find our own way in. It's, you know, we will find out when it's not working for us and we can always adjust. Mm-hmm. And I think in our prayer life, this is extremely important that we learn to figure out what works and what doesn't work in our prayer life. And I think discernment is one of the big things that is part of our preparation during Advent, discerning what actually leads us to that peace that we're looking for mm-hmm. as we're preparing for the coming of Christ. So we're going to get to count this as 15 minutes towards my spiritual direction because this is what I feel like I'm doing right now. There you go. It's See, great. Yes. It's what I need to hear. I'm sure that others need to hear this as well. So it's wonderful that we can broadcast it. Now, moving away from spiritual discernment and uh, talk a little bit about victory sports. Sure. Uh, we had a very successful fall mm-hmm. in victory sports. Uh, Correct. A lot of enthusiasm, a um, lot of participation, mm-hmm. but we're still growing the participation. Please, yes. And so what are the next two things coming up for victory sports, we have soccer mm-hmm. and we have basketball, correct? Well, basketball is uh, the registration technically is closed, but if you uh, send a message to us through the victory sports website and, and uh, contact us, I'm sure that we could, we could work something out um, that the, the basketball practices are due to, to start in early January and followed by a season of, scrimmages and games and skills competitions and it was very popular for both the volleyball and football for boys and girls and uh we're waiting for soccer season to start which will be after basketball season but guess what registration is open now so yes start signing up for soccer I like the way we timed this to have the registration for soccer during the World Cup <laughs> yeah um it it's a very popular time right now because the World Cup doesn't happen every year. So right, yeah. So, so uh, it's it's working out very well, and we hope that we're going to have a very full soccer season as well. And uh, we're going to start opening things up uh, pretty pretty quickly uh, for sure. Uh, this next year of Victory Sports will be opening up to the outlying parishes in the Brazos Valley. And then the Waco Deanery and the Central Texas area, just be on the alert because we're looking to come to your direction uh, following that. So, you know, God willing, uh, the expansion is steady and slow and solid. And uh, like you said, the people that are participating are very much loving it. And they're getting a lot of great formation, not only in great athletics, but great faith formation as well. So that's, that's a key to the whole program that we want is the great faith formation. Well, I've always uh, thought that Victory Sports, because of its intent, uh, is such a wonderful idea because when I was growing up, your social life revolved around your parish. Mm -hmm. You know, this is where you went for dances. This is where you went for uh, dinners. This is where you 
basically went for almost everything in your social life. And that shifted somewhat, you were saying. Uh, yes, and that has slowly shifted away that, you know, we're basically down to we just go to mass mm-hmm. at our parish. And Victory Sports is a way to reconnect us to our parish on a level other than strictly going to mass, mm-hmm. but you're still incorporating spirituality into it. Yeah. And I would I say that's a, that's a general rule. I would I, I know there are specific people that are very involved throughout the week going to daily mass and, yes. and, and you know but by far that is the exception. Yes. And the the more general rule is that people aren't as involved as you mentioned that they used to be. Now moving to something else, our mm-hmm. saint of the day today on December seventh which is, of course, the eve of the Immaculate mm-hmm. Conception, um, we have a very special saint, uh, St. Ambrose. Mm-hmm. And St. Ambrose is one of my favorite saints for two reasons. Okay. One, of course, he is the person responsible in large part, other than, of course, the prayers of St. Monica, of bringing St. Augustine into the Catholic Church. It was the preaching of St. Ambrose which initiated St. Augustine's conversion and St. Ambrose's ability to refute all of Augustine's objections. Uh, And that was not the only thing that St. Ambrose is famous for. Would would you say he was a hard-hitting preacher? A very hard-hitting preacher. And uh, this is where the second... uh, thing comes in. Mm -hmm. At the time of St. Ambrose, uh, because this was shortly after uh, the Emperor Constantine had named Catholicism the official religion of the Roman Empire, the next few popes followed uh, St. Constantine's understanding that he was sort of in charge of the church. Mm And there arose this dispute between the bishops and the emperor of basically who had authority in which area. And uh, St. Ambrose was fully convinced that as far as spiritual things were concerned, the bishops in charge. Mm. And this came to a head when the emperor of Ambrose's time, Theodosius, Mm -hmm. had gone into um, Thessalonica and massacred a bunch of civilians in response to one of the Roman officials being killed. Mm. And uh, St. Ambrose was actually an advisor to the emperor, but at that time he was not involved in the decision-making. So when he found out about this, St. Ambrose took a rather drastic step and excommunicated the emperor Mm. for eight months Okay, and refused to allow him into the cathedral. So the emperor had to wait outside the doors of the cathedral Mm -hmm. during mass. Wow. And uh, the fascinating thing is the emperor followed along the emperor yeah i was wondering he he actually persisted yes and eight months afterwards he was allowed back into mass 
But this sort of set the tone for the understanding that Mm -hmm. the bishops were in charge of spiritual matters, even when it came to the emperor. Mm. And uh, this is something that, you know, the church has struggled with for 2,000 years, or at least uh, 1,600 years, in how do we fit Mm -hmm. the spiritual life and the political life together. And uh, I found it rather fascinating that it is something we're still dealing with today. I think that example of St. Ambrose needs to be followed today. <laughs> I'll say it. If you won't say it, I'm going to say it. I mean, it, it, it's excommunication is, is not a form of punishment. It's a form of reform or, or correction and yes. healing. Yes, and that's the whole point of excommunication is what right. St. Paul tells us is that the whole purpose of this is to bring people back to where they're supposed to be in their spiritual life. Like you don't miss what you have until it's gone. Exactly. And so I think that, you know, so often when we look at the history of the church, it speaks to us about the situations in the world we live in. That, you know, the things that have been corrected in the past Mm -hmm. sometimes need to be revisited and seen as, you know, this is what the church has always understood the role of the church to be. Mm -hmm. And the church has never assumed that it is the political authority, Mm -hmm. but it has always said that in politics, it is still the moral authority, especially if you fall under the... Uh, direction of the church by being Catholic. So I know that we can self-excommunicate by our own actions. Yes. But as far as a public excommunication, I don't recall in my lifetime ever knowing of one. I've heard of bishops that have told certain people, public authorities, to refrain from communion, but an excommunication, I don't recall that. Ever in my lifetime. Well, the church has modified its uh, uh, position on this uh, and uh, usually seen as should be done in private. Okay. And uh, But, of course, as far as the emperor is concerned, back then when he's standing outside the church doors, everybody knew why. (laughs) And so this is something the church tries now to do on a much more uh, quiet level, but— it still has the authority to do so. All right. Uh, we're going to go into a break now. And again, on the other side of the break, we're going to be talking to Father Greg Gerhardt, the vocations director of the Diocese of Austin. And it's a fascinating interview. It is pre recorded, but we will see you on the other side. And we are back, and as promised in a moment, we're going to be talking with Father Greg Gerhardt, the Vocations Director of the Diocese of Austin. Father Greg, how are you this morning? Deacon Mike, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It is a pleasure to have you on, uh, because especially uh, 
given the situation in the church and the need for vocations, I think it's an appropriate time, any time, to talk about vocations. Now, oh, yes, of course. Uh, you, of course, are a young priest, so, you know, at some point, the call to vocation of the priesthood came to you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, I'd be happy to. So I'm a priest now of six and a half years, but I first heard my calling to the priesthood when I was 14 years old. I went to a Catholic camp called the Pines, uh, which is in East Texas, and had an absolute blast, sang lots of songs, played lots of games. Uh, We also studied the Bible, and we praised the Lord. Um, At the end of that week, my counselors also encouraged me to pray in silence, which I had never done. There was a lot of praise and worship, which was new to me, really served to dispose my heart to be open to God's grace. And then at the end of that week, they encouraged me to pray in silence. Again, new experience to me. And in that moment of prayer, it was only five minutes, but in that moment of prayer, the Holy Spirit came over me and gave me a deep peace, a great joy, and a burning desire to give him my whole life. And I felt called to be a priest. And the calling remained for all four years of high school, for all four years of college. It remained when I wanted it to go away. And then in my uh, senior year at Texas A&M, I was speaking with my spiritual director, sharing with him I just didn't have the clarity that I would like in order to enter seminary. He began to give me some advice, saying, well, it's probably time for you to start looking for jobs. You're about to graduate. As he was giving me that advice, I interrupted him, and I said, when I think about growing in holiness, and when I think about picking up my cross and following Christ, I think of the priesthood. And just like at the Pines, the Holy Spirit came over me, I walked into that room terrified, and I walked out fearless. The Lord gave me a deep peace, a great joy, and a burning desire to give him my whole life. So I entered seminary after I graduated from A&M. Seminary was seven years for me. I was ordained a priest in 2016. Uh, I had a few assignments. I did an advanced degree in moral theology for my first uh, year. I was a student priest. And then I was at San Jose in South Austin, St. Mary's Catholic Center for a couple of years, and now I've been the vocation director for two and a half years. What was the response of your parents, especially coming home after the retreat and telling them that you felt that you wanted to be a priest or that you felt that call? Sure. You know, it was um, my parents, thanks be to God, have always supported me. I think uh, their response was uh, a bit of shock and surprise. It had never come up before in uh, you know, my conversations with them. And uh, they were always ready to support me, but they also just wanted to see if this was a phase, a flash in the pan, uh, things like that. Um, and over time, uh, I mean, they had a lot, a lot of time to warm up to it. Uh, they had eight years to warm up to it. I think that they were concerned. I think fear is a normal response to something unknown. Um, and this was not something that was known to them. Obviously, their vocation is to marriage. Um, when they saw the joy and the peace that I had, uh, even within the first week of seminary, especially now that the, they've seen the peace and the joy that I have as a priest, uh, their fears and concerns are gone. They're actually more worried about my brother who's married than I am at this point, I think. But uh, no, it's a great joy and a blessing to them to have a priest in the family, to be able to receive the bread of life from the one that they gave bread and life to in the first place. Yes, I remember. I was also ordained in 2016 as a deacon, and I remember the first Mm. time I was able to give my mother a blessing. And the impact on her was 
so dramatic. It's, you know, something I'll always remember. And I can not yeah. imagine what it's like, you know, to be, you know, especially if you happen to say a mass with for your just your family. Oh, yes. You know, um, I mean, that happens. Uh, I won't say it happens all the time. Uh, but, you know, when there is vacation and when mm -hmm. there's um, opportunities uh, just to be with the family, of course, I'm going to celebrate mass every day. And and so then there are times when I just celebrate mass with my family. So it's, it's a great joy and a blessing. There's this actually this story. It's, it's a pious story. Um, that is told about about uh, parents of priests, and it comes from the gifts that priests give to their mom and dad um, on the day of their ordination. To mom, the priest gives what's called a manaturgium. It's a piece of cloth that's wrapped around his hands when they're anointed with sacred chrism to keep the oil from falling to the ground. And to dad, he gives the confessional stole with which he heard his first confession. And the mom and dad, are, when they pass away, they're buried with those gifts in their hands. Um, and the, so from that comes this pious story that when a mom and a dad of a priest pass away and go to their final judgment, the Heavenly Father will say to them, I gave you my only begotten son. What have you given my church? And they will show the stole and show the manaturgium and say back to God, we too gave you our son. Uh, I told that story on the day of my ordination. It was waterworks, including my own. I said, tears of gratitude. Uh, for all the ways my mom and dad have loved and supported me in my vocation. Yes, I can just imagine the impact on not just the people, you know, your your parents and you, but everyone listening to that, knowing yeah. you. Absolutely yeah. wonderful. Uh, now, you've been a priest for just over six years. How did you get to be so lucky to be vocations director. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, uh, I put my hands in the hands of the bishop six and a half years ago and promised respect and obedience to him and his successors. And, uh, you know, the, the role of a diocesan priest, the spirituality, uh, the heart of what it means to be a diocesan priest is to be a co-worker with the bishop. So he has been given the mission by God to care for all of the souls in Central Texas, uh, 25 counties, and 127 parishes, around 700,000 Catholics, but as well all of the non-Catholics in that uh, area too. And and so he has these co-workers, priests, to help him in his mission of the salvation of souls in this area. And uh, he sees this role as very necessary to care for the needs of the faithful. So. Uh, the Diocese of Austin has had a full-time vocation director, I want to say for uh, close to 20 years at least at this point. And uh, he looks at um, his priests, he sees where they are in their assignments, in their priesthood, and uh, it makes a discernment and a decision uh, to ask one of them to be the vocation director. And then so that just happened to be the circumstances uh, and, the, and the times uh, for me to be assigned in that way. So he, he wanted me to be assigned to this role of caring for those who are discerning their vocation, was to promote vocations to priesthood and religious life, and to accompany our men who are in priestly formation for the diocese. Now, when I was looking at the basic job description up on the website, it said the vocation director recruits councils and assists seminarians during their formation to the priesthood. So let's start with the first one, recruits. 
sure. How difficult so is I, it to uh, recruit like, <laughs> men for vocations? The, uh, the language. Uh, I like to say I'm not a recruiter, actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it kind of makes me seem like a you know a military recruiter. Uh, I think it would be the worst thing uh, to somehow uh, cajole or um, uh, force or, or trick someone in, into being a priest. Um, the uh, the goal that I have is to yes to promote uh, vocations to priesthood and consecrated life uh, because uh, you could easily go uh, many many decades without having ever considered it uh, and unfortunately I think that's uh, more often the case than not that someone would not even consider whether God might be calling them to the priesthood and consecrated life so I do try to raise awareness of these vocations to dispel myths about these vocations, and to encourage people to consider them, to be open to them. And when they do, when they are willing to take that beautiful and generous step of being open and discerning in an intentional way, whether God is calling them to priesthood or consecrated life, I try to support them in that, to offer them resources, to give them events that they can um, uh, attend in order to help them in the discernment, whether it be a retreat or a come and see to a seminary. I'm actually taking this call from Holy Trinity Seminary in Dallas right now, where we have several of our men in priestly formation, as well as uh, 13 discerners who have uh, come on a come and see weekend to see if God might be calling them in this direction. So yes, that first word to recruit, it's I think probably the, the better thing would be to say I'm, I'm a promoter. I promote vocations to priesthood and consecrated life. And then I accompany them. I accompany them in their discernment. So I give them resources such as uh, materials like books, um, events where they can um, also move in that direction if God is calling them uh, in that direction. And then um, if they do want to become a priest specifically for the Diocese of Austin, um, then I also accompany them through the application process and then their seven to nine years of formation to the priesthood. If they are looking towards a different vocation, such as religious life or uh, various uh, forms of consecrated life, well, then I try to connect them with the vocation directors or directresses that can help them in that way. What is, when you're talking to young people about a vocation to the priesthood, what do you find the biggest challenge for them uh, for them in the thought of committing to just yeah. entering seminary, not even, you know, the vocation, but just consider, considering, you know, and entering into the seminary? I think uh, celibacy is, is often the, the biggest obstacle. I think after that might be uh, career. Um, and then after that, I, I wouldn't say that there's one that coalesces into one I've heard many times, but certainly celibacy is the first one. And I think that's natural, right? Um, we, we find ourselves uh, reticent to renounce anything that is good, much less uh, one of the greatest natural goods that God has created. Uh, so celibacy ends up being one of the, the major obstacles, and that's actually, to be honest, one of the, uh, the myths that I like to dispel the most when it comes to considering priesthood or consecrated life, that somehow celibacy um, must mean that you don't want to be married. Um, it's only for those people uh, who are weird and don't have these attractions uh, or desires for marriage and family, uh, when in fact Jesus speaks about it as renouncing marriage for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, well, uh, to renounce something means that you want it. Uh, but we only renounce something that is good if we have found something that's even better. And that's how 
Jesus speaks about celibacy. He says, let whoever can accept this, accept it. He speaks about it as a gift that he wants to give to some of his friends, uh, not as a burden that he wants to impose upon some unlucky few that just have to take one for the team. Celibacy isn't the absence of something, it's the presence of someone, the presence of the Lord our God. Uh, When we read the book of Revelation, we read what heaven is, and heaven is the wedding feast of the Lamb. And the celibate person experiences a foretaste of that already now. Jesus says that in the world to come, people will not be married or given in marriage. And that's because we will be brought up into that perfect wedding feast of the Lamb. We, the bride of Christ, the church, will be united with our bridegroom, who is Jesus himself, and the eternal banquet, uh, the eternal uh, wedding banquet of the Lamb. That's what heaven is, right? The celibate person isn't, you know, getting the short end of the stick, right? He gets actually a foretaste of what we're all seeking and what will bring our hearts to perfect rest. I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Father Greg Gerhardt, the Vocations Director for the Diocese of Austin. Father Greg, when you're talking to the parents of these young men, what are their primary concerns? Sure. One of the concerns, uh, you know, might be, uh, well, what if my son uh, discerned out? Um, is he going to be at a disadvantage or at a loss? Let's say that someone um, is considering entering seminary after high school, or let's say that someone is considering entering seminary after, um, even within college, before they graduate. Um, And to uh, that concern, I would say, uh, I don't think that there is a better place for someone to be formed into a holy Christian man than seminary. And if that person were to discern out of seminary, well, they would benefit from that time and become a much better Christian man in that time, which would help them wherever God is calling them, help them to be a better husband and father, and help them to be a better student and worker. Uh, so that's what I would say to parents, is that um, if someone is to discern out of seminary or go into seminary and discern out, well, they could take the credit that they receive uh, from that institution, from the seminary institution, and continue moving forward towards uh, a college degree or uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, it ends up being a thing that really enriches their life if, in fact, uh, they're not called to the priesthood. They're still very much enriched by seminary formation. And then I would say as well, um, if God is calling them to be a priest, then nothing less will satisfy their hearts. I think my parents were most concerned about whether I would be happy and, well, how great uh, of a blessing I have have parents who are concerned about my happiness. And so um, I tell them, if God is in fact calling them to be a priest, well, the happiness that you want for them won't be found in anything else. They would be settling for less than what God made them for, settling for less than life to the full. Uh, That's really what a vocation is. It's a way that God has called us to receive life to the full. Uh, And so if God is calling someone to be a priest, well, it's in that way and no other way that they will find the rest that their hearts seek, that they will find life to the full. One of the things that uh, I realized when I was in formation to the diaconate is starting out, there's this notion that, you know, well, this, uh, hopefully I get to be a deacon because otherwise this is all such a waste. 
You're giving up all this mm-hmm. time. And by the time you get towards the end, you realize that no matter what happens, this was the place God wanted you. This was the right place for you at that time. And I think yeah. this is what you were just saying about, you know, trying to tell parents because they're concerned, you know, well, you know, they're investing all this, you know, their son into this vocation. What happens if it, you know, isn't their vocation? But it's coming to realize that that's part of their vocation, even if it's not to the priesthood. Right. Yes, the, the rector of this seminary, actually the former rector of the seminary where I'm, I'm uh, taking the call from right now, is uh, he, he would say that he firmly believes that God calls some men to seminary whom he does not intend to call to the priesthood. Right? Uh, he wants some men to receive blessings and formation and graces here in the seminary that will bear fruit in their lives, uh, actually not in the priesthood, but as married men. And uh, he, he saw that time and time again. I, I um, regularly say to people who are discerning, young men who are discerning and not so young men, uh, that the step towards seminary is not signing uh, your name on the dotted line and stating that you will certainly be a priest. It's saying, enough has happened in my prayer life, in my relationship with God. Enough has been indicated to me that I might be called to be a priest. And the only way I can discern further is to go to seminary. Uh, If we uh, needed to have more uh, a kind of mathematical certainty that we were called to this vocation, well, then we would never move. Uh, But that's not how we think of moving forward towards marriage, right? No one has mathematical certainty that this is the right spouse, that this is the right vocation. But you have received enough light in your path, enough of an indication that, yes, I believe that this person is uh, the one that God is calling me to pursue. And so, well, then you don't immediately just go and say, hey, will you marry me? Right? You say, will you go on a date with me? And will you go on a second date with me? And will you uh, enter into courtship with me? Right? This takes time. And the same is true for seminary. So seminary is kind of beginning the courtship of whether God is calling this person to the priesthood. So, uh, and just like there can be some courtships that uh, end, uh, but that give that person a blessing and help that person to grow, so too for seminary. This is a place where God calls some men to receive graces, blessings, and formations um, that don't end in priesthood, but end in a better man suited to be a good father and a good husband. In your role as vocations director, how much contact do you have with the other priests in the diocese as far as making suggestions of how to grow vocations in their parishes? Sure. You know, you had mentioned at the beginning that it's always uh, appropriate to be speaking about vocations. Um, In the Diocese of Austin, not only is it always appropriate, but in this moment, it's urgent. this year, for the first time in a couple of decades, uh, we will not celebrate a priestly ordination. And the amount of priests who are reaching retirement age in the next 10 years is much greater than the number of seminarians that we anticipate will reach ordination. And so 
the need to promote vocations to priesthood in the Diocese of Boston at this time is not only uh, important, it's also urgent. And so actually in October, we had our priest convocation, which we have every year. It's a convocation for continuing formation. And this year, the topic was vocations promotion. We had Rhonda Greenwald from vocationsministry.com and Leticia Ramirez speak to our priests about how to form vocation ministries in the parishes. And about four weeks later, 250 lay parishioners from parishes throughout the Diocese of Austin came to St. Williams and Round Rock, and we had a training workshop on how to create, uh, start, and run a vocations ministry in the parish. So uh, this year I've had more contact than ever with priests about the need, importance, and the ways of promoting uh, priestly vocations in the parishes, and I look forward to continuing that great relationship with them. So uh, other ways that I would be in touch with them would be parish visits. There are, like I mentioned, 127 parishes in the diocese. So even if I went to a different parish every single Sunday, it would take two and a half years or so before I would make it uh, to all of the parishes. Uh, but I do. I make my rounds. I try to make it to the parishes. I make it to some parishes more than others. For example, we have four campus ministries. We have Texas A&M, UT, Baylor, and Texas State. I think we have more college students in our diocese than any other diocese in the nation. So I spend most of my time at those campus ministries because that's a real uh, time that the student is naturally disposed to consider his vocation or her vocation. So I visit them about once a month. Um, other ways that I keep in touch is regular emails to let the priest know how I'm, um, how I'm promoting vocations, how they can support me in that. For example, we have the Heart of Jesus Discernment Retreat for Men, December 14th through the 16th, and I ask our priests to promote that in their bulletin announcements and to invite men that they have uh, seen a potential for a priestly vocation. So that's the way that I, uh, that I speak with our priests. Now, as far as the campus ministers go, I would assume that your relationship with them is probably closer with the, uh, than with the rest of the priests because of their close contact with men at that age where they're discerning their life direction. And so what, yes, yes, what does that true. relationship look like? Sure. I'm, um, I'm blessed to be able to go to their uh, parishes, their uh, Catholic centers, once a month, and they, uh, they welcome me as well on Sundays once a semester, and I, I uh, celebrate Mass and I preach on uh, those weekends, as well as during the week. So I, I visit them once a semester on Sunday, once a month during the week, and I will celebrate Mass and meet with students who are interested in vocational uh, direction is what I call it. Not quite spiritual direction, but uh, counsel regarding one's vocational discernment. And so they uh, are very gracious to be able to promote that in their open announcements, uh, in their social media, and on flyers throughout the campus ministry center. And then um, I spend all day there, if not several days there, especially in the case of Texas A&M, uh, meeting with students. And so in the evenings when all of that is done, I might attend one of their events, like a discernment dinner that they have hosted. I might offer a talk uh, for the larger campus ministry, so I try to help them in that, in that uh, regard in their own ministry. And then I also have an opportunity for priestly fraternity with them. So they're some of my closest collaborators in the Presbyterate. 
I want to remind our listeners again, we're speaking with Father Greg Gerhardt, the Vocations Director for the Diocese of Austin. Uh, Father Greg, what are the greatest blessings that you have received being not just a priest, but also a vocations director? Let's start with the priesthood first. Oh, wow. Um, the greatest blessings I've received as a priest have been um, being an instrument in God's hands to draw his children to communion with him, to bear fruit, uh, and to work for God's glory. Uh, there's um, a couple of glory stories, you might say, uh, you know, that I've been recalling recently. Uh, it's the, um, I don't want to give away any details or anything like that, but in one assignment, I, I uh, was just leaving uh, daily mass and heading to the office, and I saw a young woman who was on a picnic bench and on the campus of the parish um, who was crying. And, uh, you know, I had something to do, but I felt a tug of the Holy Spirit in my heart to speak with her. And uh, so I did. I didn't make it to the office then. I, I went over there and I spoke with her and um, asked her how she was doing. And sure enough, you know, the life of sin that she had been living had uh, really brought her to her wit's end and she had had enough and so I brought her into the office. I spoke with her. Uh, I spoke with her the next week and the following week, and little by little, uh, she received the grace to turn away from that sinful life and to embrace uh, the life of the gospel. And the same happened for her boyfriend, and uh, they got married, and now they're having a baby. It's a great, great joy to be an instrument in God's hands to make that happen, simply by being a priest, simply by walking out of daily Mass and speaking with someone. Uh, Another glory story would be in another assignment where a couple came in and spoke with me, I was just making myself available for regular appointments, and this couple, uh, the uh, the young man uh, was Baptist, and uh, the young woman was Catholic, and uh, he was trying to make her to become a Baptist, and uh, she wasn't you know, quite able to answer all of his questions, but she was able to say, let's go talk with the priest. And uh, so they came and spoke with me, and uh, little by little, I answered his questions, and all of the barriers and obstacles for him even considering the Catholic faith started to go down, and they ended up breaking up, but he kept going towards RCIA, became Catholic, and said that this is the greatest joy that he has ever had in his life, and sure enough, even his parents now are in RCIA and becoming Catholic, and that's the fruit that a priest can bear just by being a priest, just by being available. Um, So those are some of the things. It's just a joy to be an instrument in God's hands to bring uh, people, his children, uh, to communion with him, to bear great fruit for his kingdom. So I would say that in terms of being a priest, and specifically about uh, the joys and graces and blessings of being the vocation directors, I get a front row uh, seat at the work of the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't believe just the ways um, and all the different circumstances and all the different backgrounds of men and women who hear a call to give their whole life directly to God. Um, and I get to hear how it happens. And it is an incredible joy, an incredible encouragement to see the Holy Spirit uh, working so powerfully in someone's life that they are open, willing, and ready to give their whole life to Him, even to renounce some of the greatest natural goods that we have on earth in order to give their whole lives in service to Him. So that's one of the, uh, I would say, the greatest joy and blessing of being the vocation director. 
One of the other things that I noted on the website for the vocations office is that it says that the Office of Vocations promotes the universal call to holiness. Now, here at the Apostolate, we've been spending a lot of time this year because of the 60th anniversary of the Vatican Council, and uh, this is straight out of Lumen Gentium, the call to universal holiness, or the universal call to holiness. How do you see this as part of your job as vocations director to promote this? Oh, I, I think it's everything. Um, the universal call to holiness is uh, the Lord's desire that we be in communion with him. My favorite two passages from scripture are Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 and John 10, 10. So in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the sweet desire of our Lord's sacred heart to give us rest, to bring our hearts to rest. And uh, John 10, 10 is the way that he does it. I came that they might have life and have it to the full. All of us long for thoroughly satisfying and fulfilling happiness, a happiness that doesn't leave us longing for more, but something that finally brings our hearts to rest, and nothing less than life to the full will do that. Uh, in the original Greek of John 10.10, we can see that there is a difference between our natural lives on earth and the life that will actually satisfy our hearts. Jesus could have said, I came that they might have Dios it would have been a possible Greek word he could have used for life. It's where we get the word biology. It's biological life, natural life. But he didn't. He said, I came that they might have zoe. In the Gospel of John, the Greek word zoe means divine life. I came that they might have my life, the life of God, and have it to the full. And we see it, Jesus fulfilling that promise in a powerful way on the cross and in the Eucharist, this is my body, this is my blood, which is for you. I came that you might have my life and have it to the full. When we receive that life, then we find the rest that our hearts. And Jesus did not say, uh, this is my body, this is my blood, which is for the priests. He didn't say, I came that the nuns might have life and have it to the full. No, this is his desire for everyone. He desires that we have his life and have it to the full, and in that way, find the rest that our hearts seek. So this is the universal call to holiness. Now, when it comes to vocational discernment, not only are we called to have life to the full, but we are called to have that life in a particular way. One of my favorite uh, lines to quote, uh, which is often attributed to St. Francis, is, it is in giving that we receive. So if we're going to receive the life of God, it's going to look like giving our lives away. And that's because the life of God is a life of gift. Father gives himself to the Son. The Son gives himself to the Father. Their mutual gift is himself, the Holy Spirit. If we receive that life, well, the only way um, it's going to take root in our lives is if we ourselves are also giving. If we are loving, right? God is love. So there are these three vocations, three callings, uh, in which we would be able to receive the life of God. 
that the church has uh, pointed out to us. We see this way of being holy, namely priesthood, consecrated life, or marriage. And from all eternity, God has known one uh, vocation for us, one calling for us, one way in which he wants to give uh, his life to us. Uh, when I was growing up in high school, especially after that grace I received at the Pines, my favorite passage was Jeremiah 29, 11. I know well the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for your will, plans to give you a future full of hope. He's known us from all eternity, and he's known the particular way of holiness that he wants us to live out from all eternity. And vocational discernment is about asking God and listening to his voice, speaking to us, telling us which way he wants us to be holy. We don't have to discern whether we're called to holiness. We can take that to the bank. What we're discerning is how is God calling us to be holiness, how he's calling us to be holy. I've mentioned the pines a few times, and just to kind of impress upon the importance of the reality of God's plan for us, I'm going to share with you this wonderful story. Um, my vocation to the priesthood had been confirmed in many ways over the uh, eight years of, um, you know, in between that grace and between uh, entering seminary and then the seven years of seminary itself. But one of the most moving ways in which God confirmed my vocation happened on the day of my ordination. Um, when I was at the Pines, I went out there as a camper, but I also worked out there for five summers as a uh, counselor, and my camp name was Sparrow. Everyone received a camp name, um, things like Goober, uh, Pumbaa, Papa Smurf. Well, mine was Sparrow. Why is that? Well, when I received my name, it was 2003, and Pirates of the Caribbean movie had just come out. Uh, Captain Jack Sparrow, one of my counselors, one of his trainees to be named uh, Sparrow. I wanted something a whole lot more spiritual. The only thing I could think of from the Gospels was when Jesus says, do not be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. It's not really that <laughs> encouraging when your name's Sparrow. But regardless, that was the name I was given. That was the name that connected me to the blessing of my vocation. Well, on the day of my ordination, July 9th, 2016, the communion antiphon, I didn't try to make this happen. I didn't orchestrate it. I didn't move things around so it would happen. It just happened to be this particular Sunday in ordinary time when I celebrated my first Mass, the communion antiphon was Psalm 84. The sparrow finds a home. By your altars, Lord of hosts, my King and my God. The Lord gave me his sparrow a home by his altars as his priest. Uh, he had known from all eternity that he wanted me to be holy by being a priest. And he had even orchestrated something as silly and insignificant like the detail of a movie that came out in 2003 just to assure me that this was his plan. This was his plan to give me life to the full by being a priest. So I think the universal call to holiness has everything to do with uh, vocational discernment. Vocational discernment is not whether I'm called to be holy, it's in what way am I called to be holy, whether it be the priesthood, the consecrated life, or marriage. I find it interesting that listening to you, when we look at Scripture and even St. Francis, the message is that it is in giving that we receive, and ultimately it is in giving that we receive happiness. I would imagine in the culture we live in, where sacrifice is basically a dirty word, how difficult it must be to convince young men that that's actually true, 
that in giving yeah. up they will find happiness yes you know i i you're very you're very true it's a paradox it's it's uh, it's the christian paradox um bishop robert Barron has called it the law of the gift uh in our society and uh in our you know larger culture uh everyone seems to live by the law of the get the more i get obtain and acquire the more that my life will increase uh, when in fact jesus gives us uh, the very opposite indication the law of the gift the more that i give myself away the more that my life will increase so jesus says right uh, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it right and we take him up on his offer because we see that he is trustworthy and he has skin in the game. He was willing to give his whole life to us uh, because he loves us. And when we look at the cross, right, we see something that really just pierces through the lies of the culture. Someone that loves us so much, not because of anything that we can do for him, but because of everything that he can do for us. He stands to gain nothing and we stand to gain everything. And he wants us to trust him that in giving our lives to him, we don't lose anything of what makes life valuable and what gives happiness. In fact, we find everything. If we seek to save our lives, well, we will lose it. But if we lose our lives for his sake, then we will find it. Uh, and I do think that if someone listens with an open heart that this strikes, it resonates, it hits a chord in their heart. Well, why? Well, because they were made in the image of God. They were made in the image of the one who is gift. And this is what will bring their hearts to rest. St. Augustine said it better than anyone else in our tradition. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Uh, so St. Augustine himself went after the things of the world in order to try to find the rest that his heart sought, but he did not find it until he found the Lord. So in God's timing, um, Whenever a young person has maybe gotten uh, fed up with uh, the rat race or what culture says will bring happiness and, in fact, is always failed and destined uh, to disappoint, uh, that person might be open and willing to listen to another message, namely the law of the gift. It is in giving that we receive. Father Greg, we're down to about three minutes in the interview, and I was wondering if, just to sort of wrap things up, if you would tell us what your prayers are for the vocation program in the Diocese of Austin. Mm. Yes. My prayers in the voca uh, for the vocation program in the Diocese of Austin would be that everyone, uh, first and foremost, knows that they are called to holiness and is thrilled to pursue it. Everyone knows that the call to holiness is a call to life to the full, a call to the happiness that will bring our hearts to rest. Secondly, that because they are called to holiness, because they trust that the Lord wants life to the full for them, that they would be open to the vocations to priesthood and consecrated life, and that they would be willing to discern those in an intentional way. And then finally, I would also pray, thirdly, that uh, people who are already in their stable vocations, whether it be marriage, consecrated life, or the priesthood, that they would pray for, promote, and encourage people to consider 
vocations to priesthood and consecrated life. Uh, those would be my three prayer uh, intentions. I have one resource that I would recommend uh, to those who are uh, considering a calling to the priesthood or consecrated life, and that is Discernment 180, the six-month guide to help someone discern priesthood or consecrated life, somewhat like Magnify 90 or Exodus 90. It is a uh, daily devotional with daily prayers and a rule of life to help one pursue vocational discernment through the pursuit of holiness. And you can find it on our website, austinvocations.com. That would get, be the first button that you would see, Start Discernment 180. Father Greg, I want to really thank you for being willing to come on the radio program and talk about vocations, because as I mentioned at the beginning, it's important for our church, it's important for our diocese, and uh, especially at the moment, you know, we are in a vocations crisis although it looks better for the Diocese of Austin than some of the other para, uh, dioceses in the country. But thank you for your the work you're doing. Thank you for helping our young men discern for the priesthood and reassuring families that that's the right thing for them. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. Next week, we'll have another episode of the Red Sea Roundup. Remember to tune in for that. Until then, when considering the many ways in which you might share your time, talents, and treasure with the people of God, Always round up. <laughs>